Well, good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon to you on the mm-hmm. East Coast, and good morning to me on the West Coast. Yes. <laughs> um, we are talking today about the uniquely queer experience of being a little late to the party mm-hmm. because of all the ways in which we were deeply repressed. You know- Maybe a definition. Let's talk about what is internalized homophobia. That's a great idea. Uh, what is your working definition, Miles? <laughs> I thought you might throw <laughs> that back on me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I kind of look at homophobia as uh, fourfold, and this is probably true of any oppressive um, dynamic in the world. And there is uh, internalized homophobia in this case, interpersonal homophobia institutional homophobia, and then systemic or structural homophobia. And so um, if we're talking about the internalized expression of that, I think we're looking specifically at um, the conscious or subconscious beliefs among um, us uh, that believe negative stereotypes about who we are, and we Mm -hmm. believe positive stereotypes about uh, the dominant group, you know, in this mm. case, uh, cisgender heterosexual people. Um, it's, it's something that lies within us as individuals. And I guess inter- internalized homophobia would be our interior world of fears, biases, prejudices, uh, desires, attractions and repulsions around uh, queerness sort of Mm -hmm. as an umbrella term. And so I think that applies both to our sexual orientations, uh, but also our gender identities and gender expressions too. So that's my (laughs) working definition of internalized homophobia. Yes. Whoa. Um, I'm so glad I threw it back to you. (laughs) The word fourfold was not going to be the first part of my definition, but you're right. That's very uh, extensive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, it's interesting. I think they miss this piece of homophobia because we're trying to think of it. uh, I think mostly through the interpersonal, you know, sort of how we're treating other people as a result of our biases or our beliefs. Um, or institutional, right? Like mm-hmm. the policies that our schools or workplaces or apartment complexes have um, around uh, gender and, and sexual orientation. But I do think that this piece that we're talking about today is one of the most fundamental because I think that um, at least uh, I statements in my personal experience, this one uh, has its claws in me in just a very <laughs> different type of way that does more um, uh, clear, uh, causes more clear pain to me on like a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. It's really upsetting that, you know, these, the other, the other dynamics you're talking about were things that were done to us. Mm-hmm. And so like, I can think of a, a few specific examples um, 
in my own life, I would, I regularly had conversations with bosses and some of these were bosses that I really loved and respected deeply who were very kind that knew about my struggle with same sex attractions and in air quotes. Yes. (laughs) And I would be in, and it was always with like the highest person with the most power. Um, Mm -hmm. It would be like the president of an organization or the executive director of a ministry. And they would, I would be in their office privately and they would say things like, we're, you know, I just wanted to kind of understand some of the language you're using around maybe saying that you're gay when I was like celibate, gay celibate mm-hmm. and fears that, uh, you know, I'm getting emails from volunteers and they just, you know, want to know what this means. And like parents are concerned and other people on staff are just like, uh, you know, want to understand what this means. And so like, I would just be, sitting with the person with the most power in the institution having to defend my sexuality and talk about my non-sex life to like (laughs) you know ward off concerns and that's such an agonizing experience Mm -hmm. and i'm laughing because of my own trauma as well it's so painful yes and so there are all these ways that like not to mention like you know family like i wrote in my book about um ways that my mom like when she first found i had looked at porn on the computer and she called a family meeting Mm -hmm. and read each website aloud (laughs) (laughs) it's so bad it's so bad, but it would be like www wow dot babes with big boobs dot com, <laughs> and it was like Constance. through the <laughs> through the whimpers, and my brother was like, "Okay, Julie looked at porn. Um, we get it." And she was like, "But it's lesbian porn," and he's like, "Yeah, Julie struggles with same sex attractions. Her sexual falls are gonna be with." women. And anyway, these experiences were deeply shame inducing. And the, the most upsetting part about internalized homophobia is that yes, you have to sit there and, and deal with those moments that you feel your body just completely clenching up as you're like wanting to disappear you're having like a an actual trauma response. You're having to think quickly on your feet about what you're going to say. Like, and all of that's so agonizing in the moment. But what you don't realize is that once you're through the moment and once you even deal with like how messed up that situation was, many, many moons later, you find people you love who love you and see you and and create spaces of like, that are nurturing and life-giving and you in your body are still carrying those kinds mm-hmm. of moments. And so then often, and this is a, this is a nice statement. I have then done things or not been able to show up in ways as a result of those experiences that I didn't cause, but now I am the one that's like in my own way and being mm-hmm. able to give and receive love 
And then we are left to feel the consequences of our own, you know, incapacity, perhaps, uh, later in life. And it's so then we deal with like guilt and shame around that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it's frustrating because um, there's a certain point at which like as adults, we are then responsible for how we're showing up to people in our lives. And we can't just forever be like, well, but this happened when I was young. And so, I mean, we can, but we definitely are the ones that are paying the cost of that. And so I guess Mm -hmm. the first thing that I want to say is like to anybody that resonates with these experiences, like be so gentle with yourself Mm -hmm. and just like have so much grace for yourself because as much as yes, we are adults who are responsible for our, our, um, our actions now, we also like deserve a lot of kindness and we deserve to, to be able to like learn these hard lessons a little later in life. And, um, and yeah, you just, I feel like I just want to give all the queers out there, like such big hugs (laughs) (laughs) And the sense of just like, you're doing so good. You're just doing so good. I know you're like 42 and you, you maybe just like fucked up big um, and, and it's painful. And mm-hmm. also like, it's so beautiful that you keep showing up to mm-hmm. relationships and love and communities, um, even though it can feel frustrating to still be have those like teenage parts of ourselves getting in the way Mm -hmm. yeah no that to me is also i think the advice that i have really benefited from having spoken over me um (laughs) and to be able uh to really connect sort of with the like survivor lens you know around Mm -hmm. these topics is you know for for a person to make it through all of these forms, you know, of oppression, the internalized, interpersonal, institutional, structural, and to get to the other side and finally be able to uh, really take ownership of their own story uh, and to, you know, kind of authenticate you know, who, who mm-hmm. they are is, is a massive feat. Uh, and it's something I'm not sure everybody you know, has an opportunity to really face head on. And I do think that queer people have always and will continue um, to be an example, you know, of of what it means to have to do this. Um, And and maybe we will build a world where that is not the case, uh, where it's not our resilience (laughs) that allows us to make it through, um, but just society overall changing. But I don't think we're there yet, even in the year of our Lord, 2022, uh, <laughs> challenges, you know, to our community still abound. And so mm-hmm. um, the grace for the self and the other, I think, has to be really fundamental to how we're thinking about these topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are ways that, like, what, have, what has been helpful to you once you give yourself that grace and create Mm -hmm. those places of understanding and gentleness for yourself and the people you love who also exhibit this, um, what, 
what's helped? What's been a source of healing and mm-hmm. growth for you? Well, I'm wondering if you will indulge me for a moment uh, to kind of briefly talk through what internalized homophobia has looked like for me chronologically. Oh, yes. Um, because then I think that sort of lends itself to uh, the point in my journey when healing was really able to, to begin. Mm. Um, and, and this is something I have spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about because, as I mentioned earlier, it, it to this day, I, I think, still impacts me tremendously. And so mm-hmm. I'll talk about its current expression in my life and how I try to resist it. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we go back, back to the beginning, (laughs) uh, I think for me, uh, internalized... the beginning, the womb? uh, I would say... (laughs) (laughs) We should have another conversation about that. Um, But for the sake of this conversation, we're... It was when I took that first breath post womb. Mm, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> as a, a child, uh, internalized homophobia for me was uh, feelings that I would have toward other gender expansive and gender exploring people. So for mm-hmm. example, uh, when I would see a child who we might call a tomboy, mm-hmm. you know, somebody assigned female but is expressing uh, masculinity in whatever cultural context that may be, I would almost recoil. Mm. I, I would see myself, essentially, in another person, and that would make me feel afraid. It would make me feel disgusted. Mm. It would make me feel disinterested. And so rather than that resonance being something that pulled me toward that person as a child, it, it repulsed me. Mm. And so uh, there, I can remember being in kindergarten, first and second grade, and there being other little people, you know, that would have been mm. called tomboys mm. and wanting nothing to do with them. Ugh, those cuties, those little sweetie pies. I, I yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, and the same applied toward classmates who were, you know, assigned male and were uh, expressing more feminine or characteristics that were understood as feminine at the time. Those mm-hmm. people, uh, at best, I, I pitied. Mm. As, as a child. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, introduces this conversation around like queer bullying, mm-hmm. um, something that starts in childhood. And I'll talk a little bit more about in a second, but um, that that's what it looked like for me. I was so aware of my body language, of my voice, of my hair, of my clothes. Mm-hmm. I would discipline myself, you know, to sit a particular way with my legs and to watch what my hands were doing and Mm -hmm. to think about, um, you know, what accessories I could wear or not wear. And for me, uh, as a 10 year old, that was the first time my parents sat me down and explained to me that one of the reasons I was being mistreated at school 
was because I was dressing and, quote, acting in a way that was more typical for boys. Now, Mm -hmm. my parents were not against this. In fact, my parents were (laughs) incredibly proud of me Mm -hmm. and supportive of my hobbies and my interests and the way that I expressed myself. And so really that conversation was just uh, an explanation. You know, Mm -hmm. they weren't, weren't making a judgment. They were just letting me know uh, that in, in their interpretation of things, if I were to dress or act or, you know, carry myself in a more feminine way that I would be quote treated better. Mm -hmm. And so that, like you mentioned, kind of stuck to my bones mm-hmm. and made me very resistant um, to anything that <laughs> reminded me of me mm-hmm. uh, as as a teenager. And I think one of the big ways I saw that happening uh, toward other people, again, was the avoidance of queerness. Mm-hmm. Now, I also had the great fortune of having two friends in high school who came out uh, mm-hmm. as lesbian and their parents accepted them. And this is in very conservative Southern Northwest Florida, mind mm-hmm. you, but um, they also represented a world that seemed so far away from my own that I couldn't actualize it for myself. But those two particular people were some of the most compassionate, understanding, and gentle, um, you know, girls I knew at the time. And so that was great. At the very same time, um, the two people who bullied me the most aggressively during high school were also queer people. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard for me to believe that what I was struggling with in myself, you know, namely hatred, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, self-flagellation and that kind of thing was something they were also struggling with and couldn't help Mm -hmm. um, but project that outward. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I (laughs) played softball and I Mm -hmm. played basketball and I was so aggressive about trying to fight the stereotypes, you know, associated with either one of those things. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I have had friends ask me if my involvement with church and with youth group and with Christian faith more broadly uh, was a intern like a a trauma response. You know, it, it mm-hmm. was a internalized homophobia thing that I gravitated toward this system that um, claimed to be able to fix what I believed like was broken about me, and I can't say that wasn't true. <laughs> I I do think there's things to me about Christianity, um, specifically the person of Jesus, that are winsome within of itself. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's not just a trauma response for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do think that I gravitated toward things that promised to make me different mm-hmm. than was true of me at the time. And in a way that was associated with goodness, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. Yes. So this eventually, you know, becomes something that I'm slowly able to start accepting my queerness in, in gender identity and sexual orientation. But the way it looks then in like 
young adulthood, early twenties is, um, I'm an assimilationist, you know, in Mm -hmm. every kind of way I've I've heard relatable. I've heard the phrase, um, homo normativity, Mm -hmm. um, applied to this phenomena, but basically I just tried to make myself the most palatable gay person there was. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that, that was out of desiring after respect, mm-hmm. you know, after um, normativity, af- after being able to be looked at as like a good, right, and upstanding, the very best version of a gay person there could be. We're just like you. Yes, exactly. Please accept us. Mm-hmm. And this is the space um, where I think a lot of people are still are today. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a space where transphobia specifically is is rampant in mm-hmm. queer communities and especially among um gay cis men, but mm-hmm. I've also seen it be true of uh lesbian cis women mm-hmm. and bisexual people of <laughs> any gender <laughs> variety uh because there is this uh, sort of latent, insidious idea that mm-hmm. a transgender person is just like an extreme version of a gay person. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and so to me, it's, it's not uncommon out of this sort of desire to assimilate mm-hmm. the respectability politics that... Um, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people would feel the need to distance themselves as much as possible from um, transgender people, gender nonconforming people, non-binary people, gender expansive people. There, mm-hmm. There is a hunger based in internalized homophobia that uh, resists the possibility, you know, that somebody who you see being uh, scrutinized in broader society is not you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. so interesting too, to think of like gender expression and it seems like trans, a lot of, a lot of acceptance around trans people is based on to what extent they fit into a gender norm, yes. whatever that gender, whatever direction they've gone. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it's more about like, do you appear in ways that make our broader, like the broader society feel comfortable and fit into a certain kind of stereotype. And if you don't, then uh, there's, there's a a negative response to that. And Mm -hmm. it's deeply upsetting. Right. So sad to see that happening within our own community where we've already, we already all know that feeling of what it's like to feel like people are at at maybe just uncomfortable with us, but also maybe repulsed by us mm-hmm. and to not be rooting that out of ourselves. And I guess that's also why healing from internalized homophobia is so important because it doesn't just affect us. Right. Yeah. No, and so this kind of brings me to today. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, as I've been able to embrace having a trans identity and being able to affirm, um, you know, that in myself, 
that was a huge milestone for me in, in terms of a healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, at, at this point, I'm on 18, 19, 20, I'm <laughs> four years into um, being able to share, you know, more of who I am with my friends, family, and community around me. Um, I, I want to talk about the ways I see internalized homophobia still playing out in my life. Mm. Um, recently I was in a counseling session and, uh, the therapist asked my partner and I what our, our deepest seated fear is. Mm. Big question. Whoa. And, um, my response was that my deepest fear in this world is that I am a bad person and I can tie a clear through line, Mm. um, you know, between that belief and internalized phobia and specifically this piece about total depravity, this Mm. doctrine that Mm. I embraced full heartedly Mm. as a child and was weaponized, um, Mm not just against other people, but against me. And so here I am, 31 years old, and I would say deep-seated internalized homophobia looks like moral inferiority to Mm. me. And so some of the ways this plays out for me is in having poor boundaries Mm. and having this obsessive need to help Mm. other people. Mm. Um, It manifest in the need to fix things, to over-function in my relationships, to apologize, even when I am the one who has been wronged in the situation, mm-hmm. and a, a willingness to believe in the best of other people's intentions, but the worst mm. of my own intentions and altogether to have to prove to myself that I'm not the monster mm-hmm. that I was taught I was mm-hmm. and I was treated accordingly for. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's been working for me, though, mm-hmm. <laughs> has, has been conversations like this with mm-hmm. friends and colleagues and community members to be able to really tease out um, the messages, you know, that I heard as a child that I swallowed, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and then were operationalized through yeah. any number of my behaviors throughout my life. Um, for me, processing that is is healing with and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece of that is I've really been captivated by this idea of, uh, like, queer joy or mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to gender gender euphoria what are um what are the activities you know what are the readings what are the events that put in perspective for me what it means to be a, a joyful and liberated person uh, mm-hmm. what it means to delight um in my sexual orientation and my gender I- identity to be able to treat it as a gift and as virtue uh, that 
has been real clutch for me. And mm. um, theologically speaking, you know, I, I'm curious to hear you kind of respond to this idea, but I spent so much of my Christian education learning about uh, or, original sin, mm-hmm. learning about original badness, you know, to call it by another name, that that particular teaching, that particular doctrine overshadowed, if not entirely eclipsed, the doctrine of um, Imago Dei or being made in the image of God, which points us to this idea of original goodness. Mm-hmm. And and so it does matter for me as a little spiritual, you know, still religious question mark person uh, to be able to really embrace, take hold of, and try to activate this idea of of what it meant, what it meant, and what it means um, to have been given qualities of God likeness, you know, mm-hmm. to see that show up in my life, to name it, to identify it, to reflect on it, to share it with other people, to ask them, invite them into sharing the ways that they see it in their own life. That, um, that's been big Mm -hmm. for me to be able to do. And in the same way that our body keeps the score around Mm -hmm. the bad things that happen to us, Mm -hmm. uh, it also keeps the score around the good things. And so I'm trying every day to put my body in a situation uh, mm. that reminds it of its goodness. And that mm. is for me, uh, movement based, you know, it's about being outside and in the sun and in the ocean. I moved to California, I think as a, mm. uh, an expression of wanting my body to keep <laughs> a different score. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is beautiful. I, 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 I resonate so deeply with this and it's interesting in thinking about like, um, you know, inherent goodness, um, and how I think one thing that's really helped me personally heal from that sense of badness of like, I'm fundamentally bad and disgusting is being able to, I've always been able to look at other people and be like, you are so beautiful. And like, uh, like uh, other queers in my life and be like, your love is so gorgeous. You are just like a walking angelic being. I cannot believe like what you radiate. And I just like think, I just, or being moved by their pain and being like, mm-hmm. gosh, like this is so wrong. Like you matter so much. And this is, and then to myself being like, oh, well, you're just not strong enough. Oh, mm-hmm. well, you're just not, uh, yeah, good enough. And so taking the messages that I deeply believed about other people and their goodness and claiming those for myself and being like, if this is true of them and like the common denominator of all these different people is that they're fucking awesome and beautiful <laughs> then maybe just maybe there's a little seed of that in me and just starting to really believe those messages about myself and the extent to which I have grace for other people being able to to embrace that for myself and it's transformational it is you know the way 
the way that we talk to ourselves um, matters deeply in forming who we become and being able to sort of like, like speak those things over myself that I would for other people has been truly like, yeah, it's been transformative and deeply healing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can be vulnerable for a second here. I don't even know uh, where this conversation goes necessarily, but I, when I reflect on our friendship and Mm. I think about um, some of the more (laughs) tense years of that, Mm -hmm. I, I know that a part of, me being able to heal and to be able to work through internalized homophobia was looking specifically at the ways that um, I loved you and seeing, you know, that caring for somebody tremendously means caring for their, their whole person and their whole story. And Mm. that doesn't, I, I say this because I think we can run the risk of talking about queerness um, as a reaction, you know, to the message that it's bad and talking about it uh, only as good and turning Mm. each other, you know, in, in accidentally into saints, you know, are above reproach and above um, the potential, you know, for moral failure. And that's just Mm -hmm. not true. And, and for me, uh, being in relationship with you and loving you the way that I have has meant like I, I love all of this person, oh. and and in loving all of this person, I wow, I can also love all of my person too. Yeah, wow, and and that to me is one of the greatest gifts I think about risking you know, um, connection and intimacy and really putting yourself out there to mm. participate, you know, in, in connection with, with others is that y- that gets turned back on you too. It's transformative wow. for both people. And, and so my other piece of advice, you know, in and through that little anecdote is, um, Dare to love other people. Oh my gosh. My heart is soaring. (laughs) My heart is completely soaring. That is so beautiful in every way. Like both like hearing this expression of love for me and also resonating so deeply with this, with like love healing us when we love people in their, like with all of their flaws and all of the ways that they contribute to our lives, but also break our hearts and fail us and uh, bring us joy. Like just the, the complexity of loving a human being and how that actually, and when we allow people to be humans and how that transforms us and creates that grace that we were started this episode talking about um, Mm -hmm. being gentle with ourselves and having grace for ourselves and our own failures um, that can be cultivated by loving other people Mm -hmm. as imperfect humans. Wow. That is 
profound and beautiful miles get out of here (laughs) yeah um the last note i wanted to make uh was around this idea of uh pride as Mm -hmm. as kind of an anecdote um to internalized homophobia and when i say pride i'm not talking (laughs) necessarily about the parades and the parties although i'm very pro parade and party um i i think it it's so valuable especially from for people who come from more conservative um or you know closed off communities to lgbtqness to be able to recognize that pride is not the opposite of humility. Mm-hmm. It, it is the opposite of shame. Mm-hmm. It is the opposite of believing in that message of core badness, of core uh, inferiority. Um, it, it's the opposite of imagining um, yourself, you know, as broken and flawed mm-hmm. inherently beyond redemption and that sort of thing. And, and so to me, that's sort of where I try to live and land is to be a person who is proud mm-hmm. of, of myself and is proud of our community, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like what you just shared was so beautiful. I mean, there's so much to be proud of about who each and every one of us is. And I'm just so, I'm just beaming. It is, it's being, it's, I will never get over the fact that this thing that was a part, like the biggest source of shame in my life for decades is truly, has truly become for me the greatest gift. And it's become, um, it's, it's what brings so much like vibrant color to life now. And I agree, like finding big and little ways to celebrate and um, to, yeah, to celebrate who we are, whether that's um, holding hands with a partner in public or um, with our own gender expressions, like wherever people are finding that next way of like where you feel a sense of fear, like lean in and consider it as beautiful. Um, I recently, I, I also related to what you were sharing around the way internalized homophobia shows up in gender expressions. And, um, it was like, you were telling my own story. (laughs) Um, and, I lived on the same block, you know, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Um, and over the summer I, uh, got an undercut and like, you know, typical, typical lesbian kept (laughs) inching it on up. And like now the sides are shaved and, um, I've always had a very like contained style and like, I would say wanting to not be noticed was the goal. Like the uniform. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like not getting any attention was the goal. So I didn't want to be looked at in like good ways or negative ways. It was just like, please don't see me. So like all of my, you know, like I just like button up my shirts all the way and it's like, 
everything's just like tight and my hair has always been like this sort of like frizzy curly bigness that and I used to um I I call it my ex-gay hair when I (laughs) (laughs) when I would put like gel in my hair and crunch it up for like speaking at ex-gay conferences or um or like i Sharing my testimony is more what I was doing. Your testimony um, hair? Sh- my testimony hair or for photos. Uh, whenever I was supposed to send in a headshot, I would get my ex-gay hair. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's really felt... <laughs> <laughs> I remember... A meme account. Ex-gay hair. Ex-gay hair. Oh, my... I remember this one time I was... I, uh, I was speaking, I was sharing my testimony at an ex-gay conference and I was staying, I stayed in a hotel room with uh, this straight lady leader and we got ready in the morning and um, I put on my makeup and got my ex-gay hair and put on my a blouse <laughs> and <laughs> after I finished my little ordeal, she looked at me with such like pride and like earnest and she was like, I just feel like your armor has just dropped. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and like all of those sorts of messages spoken over me, uh, you know, were <laughs> deeply received. So all this to say, I have been so conscious of ways I dress and ways of like being like I related to the assimilationist thing you were talking about like being visibly gay but not too gay and it's been nice to have like such a queer haircut and to just know like every like anybody who sees this hair knows that I am a homosexual (laughs) (laughs) and there doesn't have to be a coming out story my my term of endearment for that experience is a uh, or expression is a hundred footer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And occasionally it means that like people look at me a little weird. Um, I think we all have experiences, especially when we, you know, you live in LA. I live in New York right now. I was in DC for like six years before. And I would notice when I traveled to, a community where there were less visibly gay people that I would get looks. No hundred footers. <laughs> no hundred footers. I would get looks and like in the grocery store and in things mm-hmm. like that. And not like the good kind of looks, but the mm-hmm. like, what are you? Mm-hmm. And um, I now feel like I'm really embracing being more visibly gay in a way that just like feels so good and it's like oh like i am obviously happy about this and i find this awesome i think this is awesome and if you have a look that seems like your problem like wow it sounds like there's some discomfort you need to go deal with and uh i'm over here celebrating what it is to for the for me to be able to outwardly express what i feel on the inside and to do that with no shame and no apology. And that sense of freedom is is just profoundly healing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess like, yeah, being able to lean into that, whether that's related to our gender expression or uh, affection with people we love, whatever that might be, like 
it is so healing to embody that and to uh, be speaking these new messages over our bodies that we are fundamentally good and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. I love it. I love everything about <laughs> what you just said. And, and that's what I want. I think for all people, not just queer people is, is that sense of freedom and the curiosity. And what, I, what I'm hearing you talk about too, is the exploration, mm-hmm. you know, of, of gender, of sex- sexuality, all the different ways that that can look. And I do think that that is possible for every person. And I often say my, my queer evangelism is that uh, the opposite of, of queer is not hetero, um, is not cisgender. It is free. Mm. Or, sorry, the opposite, or the opposite, the other way around. The opposite of like cisgender heterosexual is free. That like the mm-hmm. queerness is freedom. It mm-hmm. is liberation. It is your permission slip to try things on and mm-hmm. to ask questions and to wonder and to not have to have it all figured out and buttoned mm-hmm. up and you know slicked back. Mm-hmm. Um, your ex-gay hair was a metaphor. Um, <laughs> it was such a metaphor. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Let yeah. the curls come through. Um, yeah. I love it. Queerness is, <laughs> is a sense of expansion and a sense yes. of possibility. Yes. Um, yeah. Wow. Miles, you are such a beautiful person. You are fundamentally good. I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for this conversation. Yes. This uh, is really uplifting. Always to do this. Um, And if folks have follow-up questions, I'm very interested in this topic. So Mm -hmm. very pleased uh, to chat more. Mm -hmm. Y'all, every single one of you is so beautiful. Thank you for being you. Lean into it. I'm just, I'm soaring. I'm completely soaring as we end this, Miles. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right, bye everybody. Bye.